0: That created the news. He was the guy that waited for the news. It was his job to sit through the night somewhere on the wall, possibly on a tower, someplace with a view, a, a perspective of the surrounding terrain, and to wait. That was his job, to wait. Because in those times, back in the times of the Bible, before Jesus was born, you had watchmen that watched through the night guards. And it was there, that's how the news came. There could be Uh, an envoy coming from a neighboring city saying, hey, we're in trouble, we need some help. They would arrive in the night and it was the guard's job, the watchman's job to wait for the news and then communicate it in a way that would be helpful. I guess you could refer to it now as a 911 dispatcher. He would also be responsible for seeing if there was an invading army that was sneaking up on the town and trying to take it unawares. And so they would sit night by night by night by night through the long watches and it was their job Not to create the news, but to wait for the news. A messenger, something that was going to be distressing, something that needed to be brought to the attention of the leadership of the town or the capital. And so Habakkuk, the minor prophet that we are going to be studying today, was a guard. He was a watchman. Now the funny thing about Habakkuk is one of the ways he would entertain himself, or one of the ways that he would occupy himself through the long watches of the night, while he's waiting for the news, he has nothing to say. It's it's a quiet night. Is he would begin to reflect on the injustices that he saw not only in his life but also in his city and in his country. And you know how it is when you're up at that time of night and your mind is occupied. He begins to get himself pretty riled up. He begins to get himself pretty upset. It's real easy to have. A focus that's centered on our own concerns and worries and fears, especially when it's in the wee hours of the morning or the dark hours of the night. Something about being up and about during the day and interacting with people helps us uh, to gain a clearer perspective on things that can preoccupy us throughout the night. Habakkuk didn't have that privilege, and so he got himself riled up pretty good. And we've been looking through the Minor Prophets. There's a metaphor that helps us understand What God is trying to communicate to the people of Israel in each of the 12 minor prophets. There's a message that is delivered by each of the 12 minor prophets to their listeners right around 600 or 700 B.C. And then there's a gospel message. There's a gospel application. Well, the metaphor for Habakkuk is the gutsy guard. Because he would let God have it through the watches of the night. He would just fight. He would just he was so riled up about injustices that he saw in his own life, and in his own people, in his own nation, in his own city, that while he's waiting for the news to come, he uses it as an opportunity to cry out to God and say, I'm waiting to hear from you too. And honestly, I'm a little ticked off. And so you know how it is. Sometimes you have these moments where you're praying a prayer to the Lord and Some time goes by, and you come back, and maybe you look at your prayer journal, or you think about what you were praying to the Lord, and you're like, I can't believe I said that to God. Like, if anybody talked to me that way, we'd be having words right now. Because just out of the depths of your emotion, the depths of your pain, you express yourself clearly with some emotion. Well, that's what Habakkuk did. Night after night after night after night, he brought, and the Bible doesn't even try to clean it up, his complaint. Before the Lord Habakkuk has two complaints Let's explore the metaphor first The image of the gutsy guard The one that just lets God have it Through the watches of the night Because he's upset about things going on In his country and in his life The metaphor is most clearly depicted In Habakkuk chapter 2 Verse 1 We find this This is Habakkuk speaking I will stand at my guard post And station myself On the lookout tower I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. He's calling God out. I'm waiting, God. I'm not the newsmaker. I'm the guy that's waiting for the news. And while I'm waiting to see if there's a messenger or a warrior or some threat or challenge to Jerusalem, most of all, here's what I'm complaining about. I want to hear your response that i can make a better reply back to you so that we can keep fighting (laughs) he's the gutsy guard he's the precocious watchman this is habakkuk and habakkuk is so refreshing because as we read his complaints we're like thank you i've been wondering that myself and i have a few other areas of my life that i'd like to bring to your attention while we're at it and so it's really refreshing to look at habakkuk and this metaphor of the gutsy guard as he's bringing his complaints before God. His first complaint can be found in Habakkuk chapter 1. In verse 3. He begins by saying. "How Lord, Lord how long do I have to wait for you? I feel like I've been complaining to you for a while. I have these concerns. I have this complaint. But I feel like you're silent. And I'm getting tired of waiting for you to answer me. This is how Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk opens. And then in verse 3. We see his first complaint. This is Habakkuk talking to the Lord why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. Basically saying, "Hey, look, I'm just a guy. I'm a man. But if this stuff strikes me as wrong, why doesn't it strike you as wrong? Well, if it's Born all of my patience and now I'm out of patience with these different situations where evil is prospering if you're God and if you're righteous then how can you be okay with waiting longer than me talk to me give me an answer let's hash this out I got nothing but time this is is Habakkuk and honestly that's a great question all of us have wrestled with that same concept we've seen something that was evil or unjust And we know that when God created the world, he said very simply, it was good. Well, now it ain't so good. And so, God, why aren't you fixing the stuff that's not good? We hear people say this all the time, not just people who aren't Christians, but even people of faith, that if you're a God, why don't you act unless, of course, you don't have the power to do something? So if you are God, you're either not good, which makes you not God. Or you're not all-powerful. You don't have the power to fix something, which also makes you not God. And so a lot of people say, I'm not going to church. I'm not going to go worship a God that either has a lower view of justice than I do or doesn't have the strength to fix something. That'll make for a lonely, long watch through the night. This is Habakkuk's first complaint. If you are God and there are unjust situations going on in my life, in my city, in my town, and I'm done waiting to see you work... And I know that vengeance is yours, and it's not mine. I don't get to be Batman. Why haven't you done something? I got nothing but time. The Gutsy Guard. I'm not going anywhere. I have a clear perspective, not only of the surrounding fortifications of Jerusalem, but also of what's happening inside a town and a life that I love. Wow. See, he's a minor prophet, but he has a major message. It's a really good question goes on to his second complaint chapter 1 verse 13 and Habakkuk says this to the Lord your eyes are too pure to look on evil and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing so why do you tolerate those who are treacherous why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself He goes on in verse 14. You have made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler. He says, Lord, I see people who, okay, maybe they're not perfect, but they're not evil, evil. But I see evil people coming and taking advantage of people who are less evil, more righteous than them. You know what it feels like, God? It feels like we're fish in a barrel feels like we're just fish in the sea and we are subject to whatever net to whatever avarice to whatever tricky fisherman is out there being your servant god feels like i'm helpless because if if you let evil people give a hard time to people who are less evil than them what hope is there it feels like i'm just a fish in a barrel that there's nothing that makes any sense to me right now hey and by the way god i got nothing but time and I'm not hearing from him. But then he does. Then he hears from the Lord. This is the book of Habakkuk. And the Lord replies to each of his concerns. And we're going to, the, the first reply is, Habakkuk, I'm about to do something about the evil and the injustice in Jerusalem. And even if I told you what it was, you wouldn't believe me. So just wait for it. This is the first reply. Not entirely satisfying, but the Lord does reply and says, I'm going to deal with it in a way that you're going to have a hard time understanding. And then uh, the second reply we find in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. So the metaphor is a gutsy guard. Asking questions we have probably asked through the depths of the night. A situation that has brought us trouble. We're sleepless. We feel like we have a clear perspective of how God is not moving. It feels like we care more than God does. Because if I was God... If I was all-powerful, then I would, and we fill in the blank with the amazing thing that we would do, that everybody would agree is a good thing to do, yet God hasn't done it. This is Habakkuk. It's also, it's also us. And so here's God's second reply. The first reply is, Habakkuk, I'm on the move, but I'm on the move in ways that you probably can't understand, so you're just going to have to wait for it. You'll see it happen, but it's surprising. It's going to take you by surprise. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, we find this text, which is God's reply to his second complaint. God begins by saying to Habakkuk, I hear you. I got you. I hear what you're saying. Why do I allow evil people to torment people who are less evil than they? Instead of judging evil people, I let evil people prosper at the expense of less evil people. I hear you. I got you. Here's your answer. Here's a vision. Let me make it really clear for you. You're a watchman. You're waiting for a messenger to come with a message from some other city, some other town. It could be a request for help or just the news of the day. You're waiting for a messenger. I want you to write this answer down that I'm about to lay on you in letters that are so large that were you to carry it and run with this message like a messenger that the letters are so large that you can read it while you run. Because this is how clear this answer is going to be to you right now. I hear you. And here's my answer It's coming in large clear letters And it's very very simple And here it is Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 Look His ego is inflated He is without integrity But the righteous one will live By his faith Because God has just gotten done saying Write down this vision Write it clearly so that one who's running can read it The vision is yet for the appointed time Wait for it even though it delays Proud people are going to be proud Haters are going to hate That's what this verse here means Look his ego is inflated He is without integrity This kind of evil is going to go on It's going to happen But the righteous one Will live by his faith And so the message of Habakkuk To the people of Jerusalem Right around 600-700 BC Was faith waits well when confronted with the injustice that is apparent, when confronted with the fact that evil people can take advantage of people less evil than them, and it looks like evil is winning, faith waits well. Now again, not entirely satisfying, but that's the answer. That's the letters. That's the message. Write it on something so clearly that even if you were running and jumping up and down, you'd be able to read that message And so the meaning of the book of Habakkuk, the the meaning of the metaphor, the gutsy guard, the takeaway for him from the Lord is that faith waits well. There are different times in our lives where we need to wait. And one of probably the most powerless times where we are waiting and we are waiting and we are waiting to hear news that we cannot generate ourselves is when we're waiting for our children. There's a time when asked someone to marry you, and they said yes, and you put on the costume, and you stood in front of the guy, and you exchanged the things, and you said a few words, and woo, now you belong to each other. And part of that expectation of being a married couple is that you're going to make other people that look just like you. That's the, that's the expectation. And now for some couples, all they have to do is look at each other. And hey, presto, there's like a whole fleet of them running around. Now, River Church, we're a G-rated church. Sunday mornings, we're G-rated. But here's my best advice to you if you're in high school. Middle schoolers are not worried about you so much because they're still gross. And that's fine. They are. You're not wrong. So just live right there. But when you get to be in high school, you actually start to think that maybe the other ones aren't so disgusting and gross. Here is Pastor Josh's... Don't ever forget this. Always bear this in mind, advice about dating. You can sit next to them. You can talk to them. You can be polite to them. You can spend time with them. But do not, under any circumstances, look them in the eye. When you look someone of the opposite gender in the eye, you get tingling. And then, and then things begin to happen. And you're trapped. Don't do it. And I can prove that it's magic because for some couples, when it comes time to have kids, it seems like all they have to do is look each other in the eye and, hey, presto. There's eight of them running around looking just like them. And then for other couples, they look each other in the eye because they're married. You only get to look someone in the eye if you're married to them. That's the rule. Don't lock eyes to someone to whom you are not married. Bottom line. Don't look them in the eye. I shared that. You know, I know it's a little goofy. There's a, there was a middle school dance here a few weeks ago, and I was working with one of my friends at the youth center, who's in 8th grade, I think. Maybe ninth grade. And he was going to the dance, and he was excited. And I said, do you want to hear Pastor Josh's rule for the opposite sex? He said, yeah. I said, don't look him in the eye. And he's the one that he goes, he had a moment. He, we're playing at Foursquare out in the parking lot. He, he has a moment, and he looks, It's Pastor Josh. Because when I look them in the eye, I get tingly. <laughs> don't look them in the eye, man. Not until you put a ring on their finger. That's when you get to look them in the eye. Be nice to them. Be polite to them. All that. Don't look them in the eye. So that, that's it. Man, that'll preach. I don't have to use it. I didn't come up with that myself. That was from my friend in the park. You get all tingly when you look them in the eye. But some couples, they do all the right things. And there's no children. And you're praying. And you're praying. And you're reflecting on yourself, you're researching your family history, you're going to all the right clinics, you're eating all the right food, you're doing all the right things that we all know sometimes couples need to do when they're waiting for the blessing of a child and it's not coming. There are some long nights when you're waiting for a child and you cry out to the Lord and your prayer is something like this. It's not dissimilar from helpless. Lord, we have we love you, and we love each other. We put some money aside, we've prepared a place for this child. We're going to raise them in love. We're going to bring them up in your word. We're going to bring them up in your house. We're going to bring them up to serve you. Don't you want more people like that on the planet? And yet, here's pagan Harry and pagan Sally. They look each other in the eye, and there's six of them. And here we are. We love Jesus as much as anybody, maybe more. We can prove it. And we're waiting. and I have our own story to tell with this and that's some other story about waiting for children. Obviously we were blessed with two fine young men but we had our own difficulties. That's another story. I want to share with you a story of another friend of ours who got married young handsome young couple early to mid-twenties and we were childless together with them for a season. We were waiting and they were waiting and then the Lord blessed us with little baby Benaya and they were not blessed. They're waiting and they're waiting. They go to all the doctors they make all the appointments. They do all the things. They read all the books. They eat all the special food. They do all the things so that they can be blessed with the child. And time goes by. We have another child. They still do not have a child. Now they're in their 30s and they're waiting. Crying out to the Lord. And you better believe they are mad at God. And what was he pouring into their life for five years? For 10 years, for 15 years, he's pouring into them faith waits well. And this couple really had to dig deep to maintain a desire and a love for and a trust for a God who would not bless them with a child. Now we know, and there's more to share about their story, and I'm going to use that later on in this message. that's an example of what it feels like to wait for the lord where you're waiting for news that you cannot generate for yourself it's that kind of frustration it's that kind of passion it's that kind of prayer and the texts that we're going to look at this morning are absolutely designed to be an encouragement and empowering to people who are in that place lonely in the middle of night they feel abandoned and they feel like they care more about whatever the situation is And God does. Interestingly enough, Habakkuk is quoted four times in the New Testament. Uh, I love where it's quoted in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Let me share these verses with you. Would someone do me a favor and prop open one or two of the doors? Maybe I'm the only one that's getting pretty warm, but I have a feeling. Thank you very much. That'll get a breeze going. Thanks, guys chapter 1 verses 16 through 17 we've been exploring the new testament use of the old testament minor prophets to understand what the gospel message is the answer to habakkuk was faith waits well they were looking forward to the advent of the messiah they had to look back to see god move in their history looking forward was a blank slate they knew that the promised one was going to come but he had not come yet and so their faith needed to wait well Now the New Testament, of course, we have the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's fascinating to see how the New Testament authors apply the truths of Habakkuk now that Jesus had come back and had been raised from the dead. A time that Habakkuk is quoted in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Paul is just getting done describing what a wicked and evil world we live in. That this place, it looks like God is not doing anything. And then he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. We already read that passage this morning. The righteous will live by faith. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. When Paul is describing the apparent injustice and evil of the world in Romans chapter 1 that is manifested in sinful behavior after sinful behavior, he says, you know what's powerful? The gospel. The fact that Jesus came, he conquered sin, and proved it by coming back from the dead. And I will not be ashamed of this message. It's what helps my faith wait well. I can look back to seeing what God has done as the ultimate answer. Of solving the injustice and the sin of this world. Powerful passage. I'm not ashamed of this message. Because the righteous will live by faith. It is God's power to salvation. A decision of faith. As explained by Habakkuk. It feels like, if you go back to Habakkuk. You're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting waiting for deliverance. And nothing is happening. And then you make a decision of faith. And it is the power of God unto salvation. Let's explore that decision of faith because Habakkuk, this same passage is quoted two more times in the New Testament. Are the kids screaming and yelling and distracting some of us in the back? Wow. Our children's programming is the best, honestly. Hey, one way or the other, they're going to get some Jesus in them, I'm telling you right now. close the door for a sound that's fine i just don't want you guys to fall asleep on me because it gets warm in here so the power of the gospel for salvation the righteous will live by faith another time that that same passage is quoted in the new testament by paul can be found in the book of galatians chapter 3 verse 11 paul is speaking to the galatians and he's acknowledging that our pasts are very powerful Because you see, this couple that we had been friends with now for over 10, going on 15, soon to be 20 years, they now had a past of infertility. They had medical documents from tests that they have both been through certifying that scientifically, medically, humanly speaking, there are no kids. It doesn't matter how long they stare into each other's eyes. There are no kids coming their way. Now they have this as their past that's powerful that begins to shape your present right when you feel that god has left you in this position alone and now you have documents now you have history now you have memories now you have proof that your god is not as powerful as you need him to be this is what paul is addressing in galatians he's saying you guys have been trying to earn your way to god for a really long time how's it going for you it's not going very well at all And then he says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The power of the gospel to heal the past. The power of the gospel to overcome our history. The power of the gospel to overcome the proof. The power of the gospel to overcome what is a fact, which has been it doesn't look like God has been doing much, which places me in a position right now where I'm not waiting well. In fact, half of chapter two and verse in, in chapter three goes on to, into five ways that we don't wait well. That's a whole other sermon. I had to cut it out of this message. But Habakkuk goes at length to describe what it looks like when we don't wait well. I decided to focus on what it looks like when we do wait well. And the first step is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ makes all the difference of the world. It is the power of the gospel for salvation because according to Galatians chapter 3 verse 11 it eradicates our attempts to be righteous on our own none of it matters the times that we succeeded and the times that we failed the bottom line is it comes down to the power of God to save because the righteous shall live by faith do all the good things serve the Lord powerfully after making a decision of faith and dealing with the reality of And so our friends, dealing with the reality of their past, they have medical proof now that they're never going to be able to have children, are now 40 years old. Time has gone by. I'm talking about people that you're friends with for a long time. And so after much prayer and deliberation, they decide to adopt. So they travel to China a couple of times. And they meet and fall in love with not one, but two little Chinese twins, babies. And they adopt them when they're 40 years old and bring them home and love these kids and raise these kids and give them. On. It's been 15 years of waiting to be called mom and dad. It's been 15 years waiting to bring someone to church. It's been 15 years storing up this love and attention and devotion and finances. I believe it was a $40,000. And they were thrilled. And the Lord blessed them with two beautiful little girls who were born in China who were abandoned at birth. Brought them home as infants when they were 40 years old. And so the Lord began to heal their past. They began to see God in a new way, in a fresh way, because they made a decision of faith. You know what? We accept that the past is the past. There's nothing we can do about it. We understand all of the documentation and the testing. That does not mean that we cannot be parents. We're going to make a decision of faith and invest ourselves, literally, in every way, in raising two little ones from China who were abandoned. And so the Lord began to do a work of healing in their lives. They became a mom and a dad at 40 years of age. The writer of Hebrews also quotes from the book of Habakkuk. In Habakkuk chapter 10, I'm sorry, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38 The author of Hebrews is writing to these people and he's saying, uh, you have a future with the Lord. You have endured so much. You have been through so many difficult times. Don't stop now. He's delivered you from the power of your past. The gospel has been applied to your life. It's the power of salvation. And you've seen, as I wrote to the Galatians, that it deals with the power of our past. The good things that we've done and the bad things that we've done, it comes down to a decision of faith. And you've made that decision, and you have since persevered through many difficult challenges. And he goes on to say, you have a promise for your future. Don't stop now. Here's what he writes in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Uh, Verse 37, for yet in a very little while the coming one will come and not delay. Verse 38, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. Having made a decision of faith, don't recant your decision. Don't rely on good works to draw you closer and closer to the Lord. Because you've been through some difficult times. you survived those difficult times. Keep your faith fresh. You have a future. Keep your faith alive. Because whether it's dealing with past grievances or things that you've overcome in the past. Or your fear of the future because more bad things might happen. The righteous Live by faith. And what that means, according to the gutsy garment, is faith waits well. Faith waits well. And we dig deep in the death, burial, and resurrection of, of Jesus Christ from the dead. Habakkuk had to look forward. He couldn't envision it. He couldn't see it. We have the privilege of looking back to it and knowing exactly what God's provision is. And it allows us, whether we're dealing with past consequences of sin or future fears, to make this our own faith Waits Well, Habakkuk is quoted one more time in the New Testament. It's in the book of Acts. And it's a different passage this time. Uh, uh, Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 is quoted three times in the New Testament. And Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5 is quoted once in Acts chapter 13. And it's going to crack you up. This is a sermon that Paul is delivering to the first century church. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 13 verses 40 through 41. He's basically saying to the people, you could have never anticipated the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You didn't see that one coming. Even though we have the New Testament and the prophecies, nobody saw that one coming. God did something new. God did something peculiar. He did something that we could have never anticipated. And so what? Faith waits well. Because God is doing things that is just going to continue to surprise us. If he sent his son and then killed him and then brought him back, don't think he's done being crazy. There's more crazy ahead. Faith waits well. This is his sermon. And he quotes in the context of his sermon from Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5. Paul says this in Acts chapter 13 beginning in verse 40. So be aware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. Look you scoffers, marvel and vanish away because I'm doing a work in your days. A work that you will never believe even if someone were to explain it to you. That's a quote from Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5 back if i see the injustice that's happening in your city and i'm going to do something about it in a way that even if i explained it to you it wouldn't make any sense to you and sure enough god did deal with it in an unusual way and when paul is describing the peculiarity or the strangeness of god's exorbitant love for the world by sending his son he quotes from back chapter one verse five and says don't think the crazy show is over it's not if god is crazy enough if he's peculiar enough to send us the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to heal us from past hurts and habits and to provide for our future because faith wakes well, don't you think he's going to continue doing odd stuff? And the answer is yes. Yes, he is. So our friends are now 42 years old. They've been raising their Chinese twins for two years now. And uh, our friend turns 42 years old, rather, and she gets a birthday present. It's called a bun in the oven one of those birthday cakes an unlooked for gift from the Lord not scientifically possible they proved it for now 17 years and now their youngest is 4 years old and they have two beautiful Chinese daughters that are now 6 or 7 I believe and a little boy that looks just like them who's celebrating his 4th birthday in November they stopped praying for a child They thought they had received all of the healing they were ever going to experience when they adopted their daughters from China. God had something in store for them that was peculiar. She wasn't looking to be pregnant at 42 years of age, and yet here is her son. God is in the business of doing things peculiarly with peculiarity because faith waits well. Faith waits well and while it is hard to wait well in these matters of faith and i've used i purposely use the illustration of a couple struggling with infertility because it's a great illustration and the lord worked wonderfully through this situation but i also know that many of us could stand up and share our own stories as i mentioned earlier we have our own story to share and that's just the way it works because that is an area of our life Where we really have to wait for the news to come, we cannot create the news, just like Habakkuk. And so we become the gutsy guard, crying out to the Lord for an injustice that is not right, and it isn't right. But we we learn through applying the gospel according to Habakkuk, that the righteous will live by faith, and faith waits well. And so I'm going to ask the worship team to come and join me on the platform as we wrap up our time together this morning. And here's our concluding thought, here's our concluding application Wait on, reflect on, the power and the promise of the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, Habakkuk had to look forward into a void. All he had was a promise that God was going to do something at some point, and that it was going to be peculiar. And Habakkuk had to wait well, and that was all the information that was available to him. Never possibly conceiving that what it meant was that God was going to take human form and become as humble as a baby and live a perfect life and then give himself as the ultimate atonement for sins and then come back from the dead as proof that God accepted his sacrifice. Had had no idea that that was what was going to happen. All he had was a promise from the Lord that he was going to do something peculiar. And the Lord kept that promise, didn't he? We now are able to look back on what we now know of as the gospel And we know that it is the promise of God, it is the power of God unto salvation, first for those who are near to God, then for those who are far from God, and you should never be ashamed of it. While we are waiting, we can dig deep by looking back on, by reflecting on, the power of what was a promise that is now part of our personal history. And so this morning you might find yourself in a situation where you know what? Something should be happening that is not happening. And you've prayed about it. You've brought it before the Lord. You've had some late night conversations. And it looks like nothing is happening. And my challenge to you this morning. From the power of God's word. The New Testament application of waiting well for faith. Means reflecting on the power of Jesus Christ. And the, and the peculiarity of his cross. That God is not done doing things that take us by surprise. He is not done healing us from our past not done delivering on his promises that are found in his word. And so this morning, I hope by reflecting on the power of Habakkuk and his long lonely nights and his courage to confront God with difficult realities, that our faith is also encouraged. Some of us this morning, we might look back on the cross of Jesus Christ and realize we've never done anything about it. And so this morning, I encourage you to just pray a simple prayer like this. Heavenly Father, it's a fact of history. Your son came and he lived and he died and sounds true to me. It sounds like something you would do. I repent of the things that I know that are wrong. I turn from my foolish ways and I accept by faith what you have provided for me. No more efforts on my behalf to try and please you, whether they're good efforts or bad efforts. All that is done. I just want to accept you by faith. morning that you're able to spend a few moments in prayer as we sing and wrap up our time together this morning, remembering on the power and the promise and the peculiarity of the cross of Jesus Christ. Would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for someone like Habakkuk who just strikes us as so honest and so real, and in so many ways, so much like ourselves. Father, I pray this morning that you would give us the courage to make decisions of faith where decisions need to be made. Because Father, for some of us it feels like we've been crying out for a long time and there's been no response. And even bringing our petition before you again is an act of faith because we're afraid that we're going to be disappointed. Heavenly Father, by reflecting on the power of the text this morning and how Paul uses it in the New Testament to remind Christians to reflect on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we also reflect on your provision for